Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for scripture and your word. And Lord, as we continue to um, explore and listen, that would be your your word and your spirit speaking to us. Lord, we want to be good stewards of all that you have entrusted into our care. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. When I lived in Abbotsford, um, I saw a lot of pickups. But they were very different than the pickups here. Um, the pickups in Abbotsford, you would typically see some kind of lift kit, sometimes a very obnoxious lift kit, um, some big, you know, giant mud tires, uh, lots of aftermarket stuff bolted on, um, you know, some kind of turbo diesel hyped up, whatever. Um, no rust, very clean, very shiny, looks like someone had spent a lot of time polishing those things. Um, and then it was interesting because a couple times I went down to uh, South Texas and there the pickups were totally different because there they lowered everything. And so then they all, they're all, they, and I don't know how they did it, if, if you just cut down the coil spring or what, but then those are like dragging low along the ground and that kind of thing. Um, as compared to the pickups here, and the ones I've seen here are just, you know, just pure function, right? Like there are no lift kits, um, there is rust. Um, no one has bolted on a, a winch bumper and, you know, all these other kinds of things. And um, it, it's kind of fascinating. I mean, the pickups are kind of an easy example, but in some cases where there's this mentality that says, like, this is just, this is a tool, and we're just going to use it until it, it, until it doesn't work anymore. And we don't care if it gets dirty. I mean, we'll maintain it, but we don't care if it gets dirty or paint gets on it or whatever, it's just a tool, and when it's done, it's done, versus like, oh, this is a pretty thing. Like, don't don't damage the pretty thing. Like, keep the pretty thing clean, you know? And, and, it's, and it's fascinating, because I've seen that done with pickups. Uh, I've seen that done with firearms. Um, I think I've seen that done with houses. I think sometimes we do that with our own health and with our own bodies, um, some churches in how they treat their facility, right? Like, this is just pure function, and when it's worn out, we'll just burn it down and build a new one. You know, and other places, like, no, this is a pretty thing. Like, no, no food, no coffee, just everyone wears slippers when you come in, you know, that, that kind of thing. Today in Scripture, we're talking about money, and really kind of this idea of is money a tool that really serves to advance God's kingdom and we're stewards of that? Or is it just something that you get to use for your own pleasure and that's it? It's just kind of a, a pretty thing for you to, to look at, enjoy, and that's all. Um, so we're in this, in this Bible study. Uh, we're going through the book of Luke. Um, Luke gives us one of the, the four accounts on the life of Jesus. Um, it's interesting, in the New Testament, Luke was the only author who was a Gentile. Um, all the other authors were um, uh, Israelites or, or Jewish authors. Luke is the only one who is a Gentile, and he gives us this phenomenal account on the life of Jesus. So I am in Luke. I'm in chapter 12. Um, last week we were in the first half. Today we'll be in the second half. 
Uh, and let me read to you, and you can read along if you want. I'm in chapter 12, verse 13, um, going up until verse 34. So kind of a longer section, uh, but, let, but they are connected. So let me read this to you. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, so said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For, I'm, uh, for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, uh, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither uh, uh, storehouses nor barns, yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more valuable are you than the birds. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fall, fail, um, and where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. That whole passage begins with this, this story of Jesus is out teaching, and this man approaches him and and, you know, presumably yells from the crowd, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. I am most certain that this one hits close to home. Um, I, can't, I mean, to be fair, I don't know of this, of this being a particularly storyline for, for someone in the room, but... Farms, farmland, inheritance, who gets what, what's fair, how do you decide inheritance, did my parents, did my grandparents do it right, did I get more than the others, did I get less than the others, how do I divide things for my children, oh, 
I am most certain this one hits close to home. And, and that a flippant read of the passage is, is even a little bit troubling because Jesus basically says, I, you know what, leave me out of it, I don't care about it, and you shouldn't worry about it either. When we look at the fullness of Scripture, we, we do see that God cares about fairness and rightness and, and justice. Um, these are important matters to God. He cares very much about how we treat one another on earth. I actually think it would be fascinating to do a Bible study on the idea or on the concept of inheritance. That's actually an idea that we see a lot in Scripture. And, but even more so because inheritance is spoken of not just in the physical, but also even in the spiritual. So you do a fascinating study on inheritance in Scripture. But in the fullness of Scripture, we also see that life is, is, is temporal, right? That heaven and hell are eternal, and that we need to keep our eyes on, on the, bigger, the bigger picture. And, and in this section of Scripture, the point that Jesus is driving home is this idea of keeping your eyes on the bigger picture, right? There are other passages of Scripture where we talk about fairness and rightness of, of inheritance, but today the focus is on that, that bigger picture. Also, you'll note that Jesus responds to the man with a warning against um, covetousness. Some translations may say greed. And that actually suggests to us that this man's heart condition was not so much about rightness or fairness or equality, but actually a, a, an issue of greed. And so Jesus gives the man this warning, says, actually, you're struggling with greed, not just with a sense of justice or, or fairness. And then so Jesus makes this comment, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And so in doing so, Jesus is really, like, he's deflecting, he, he's refusing to answer that, that direct question, he's refusing to play judge in that moment. Now you have to remember, though, Jesus, Jesus did not lack the authority to speak into this situation, right? Jesus was God. He spoke into much bigger topics all the time, okay? There is no topic that was above Jesus' authority to speak into. Jesus fully had the authority to speak into this and tell these two brothers and to tell this family what to do. Okay, like not, nothing's above him, but I think that, that we can summarize him by saying like, look, I'm not going to comment, I'm not going to talk about that, because we have other, more important, bigger issues that we need to talk about first. And then he gives us this intro, really, on, on what he's about to talk about. He has this fantastic line, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Right? We, we've talked about this before, but this is just so good and, and something I want you to remember. When we talk about one's life, right, you, you have to remember that every person you have ever met will live forever. Okay? You have never met a mortal human being. Everyone will live forever either with God or without God, heaven or hell, like those are your two options. And so then Jesus transitions into this, and he gives them this parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. 
God said to them, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So it begins with, you know, the land of the rich man produced plentifully. To a certain extent, I mean, the guy owns a lot of land. So in some regards, he's probably already wealthy to, to a certain extent. And then it goes to talk about how, you know, produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? Where shall I store my crops? I'm going to build bigger grains. I would say that up until this point, he's still good. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Because we actually see that exact command given to Joseph in the Old Testament when he's in Egypt, right? They know that there's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and so the, the, the direction is build up more barns, store, right? You know, like, prepare for the future. So I think up until this point in the parable, the guy is still good, but then here is where he goes wrong. I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And I think that is where things derail. We used to uh, attract, we used to send out a, a book to participants to have them read beforehand to just kind of get used to them. Um, and one of them that we sent out for many years, a book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. And in, in the kind of early parts of the book, he does a comparison. Uh, between two different stories that stuck with me and, and I always found fascinating. So in the beginning of the book, he does this comparison. There, there were two ladies, uh, I forget what country it was, they were down in South America, single ladies, uh, one had been a missionary her whole life, one was, I think, a, a retired doctor. Um, they were down there doing missions work, I think both were over 80. They were driving on a mountain road, the brakes failed, and they basically just like sailed off this edge of the cliff and died immediately. He then compares that to another story, and I don't know if he had a particular person in mind. It might have actually just been like an advertisement he, he saw on TV, but it was a retired couple who were able to retire early, you know, like 55, 60, they hit early retirement, and then they spent the rest of their days like boating and collecting seashells at like some swanky Florida location. And he raises the question, which story is the tragedy? Which story is the waste? In which story do you think to yourself, my, 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 that is such a shame? In every earthly perspective, the boating and the seashells is the ideal way to end your days. It is, it is only when you take those, those two stories and, and you look at them through the lens of Scripture or look at them through the lens of Jesus' perspective that we realize that honestly, your best days, your best days when you have the most freedom, you have the most expendable cash, you have the most experience, you have the most connections, you have the most wisdom, you have the most ability to do good, and one couple wasted it on boating and seashells. Now, look, I like boating. I could collect seashells for a day. Maybe half a day. I don't know. I could do it for a little bit. Um, I like amusement parks and vacation and lovely weather that isn't miserable and makes your body hurt, right? Like, these, these are good things. And I love it when people go on vacations. I love it when you guys go on vacations and do trips and travels. I think that is fantastic. 
But I also think that there is a huge difference between a trip or a vacation versus this is how I'm going to die and the rest of my days are focused on my pleasure. That's a big difference. Go on vacation. It's wonderful. Just don't die doing it. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We are not physical beings that have some kind of heavenly retirement plan. If, if you look at the scope of eternity, or even just take 10,000 years... We're actually spiritual beings who have a super brief physical intro. There's, I, I, the, um, I thought about doing this, but, but I didn't do it. I think I did it once, though, for the, the community church service. But a fantastic way to illustrate this, right, is that, um, you, you know, you get a rope and you basically, like, run it out the building. You know, you get, like, a 100, 150-foot rope. And you're like, this is your life. And then you just mark off, like, the first six inches. And then you're like, but this is your life on earth. Right? Because it's just this fantastic visual of understanding the spans of our life and how short it is on, on earth. And how we utilize this brief 60, 80, 100 years right, is critical. That's not a lot of time. This actually came up last week, too. You know, there, there's a lot about heaven that, that we don't know, and, and a lot of it's kind of cryptic and that kind of thing. But there's... There's pretty good evidence to suggest that in some capacity there's almost like two judgments. One is like a salvation judgment and one is sometimes called like a Bama judgment or like a white throne where it's, in my terms, almost kind of like an award ceremony or kind of a recognition of what you did while, while on earth. And, I mean, there, there's a lot about heaven we don't know. But when you, when you hear Jesus say things like, who lays up treasure for himself... Money bags that do not grow old. Rich toward God. Right? Like, I mean, heaven will be amazing, and I'm just super grateful that to make it through the front doors. But comments like this suggest that, that somehow, in some capacity, how we live here somehow affects there. We don't really know most of it. But he says these things where you're like, what? What are you saying here? And it seems to imply there's some kind of connection. Jesus carries on in the next section. He said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? That's a great line right there. Like, someone should crochet that and put that on a wall. If you then are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? 
And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these will be added to you. So here's my tension with this passage. Worked with a guy. Really neat story. Um, his dad was like a pastor or a, a, a chaplain, basically like a, a, um, a like in a port city, um, like at a, a sailor's chapel. It's basically missions work, right? I mean, like picture a, a major port. You know, you've got ships in and out all over the world, and this guy's basically a chaplain to those sailors. You know, kind of rough crowd. I mean, you know, you'd have a Sunday service, but every week it's it's a different group, kind of in and out. He he'd get out and he'd go out to the different ship, ships and. You know, just do ministry there because some of these guys couldn't even come on shore because they didn't have the right password or paperwork or that kind of thing. Did that for years, I think decades. And then one day it just kind of dried up. I mean, the donations dropped off and things just kind of ended. Well, he eventually got hired on a cruise ship. And so he was explaining how his dad was now spending his last days of ministry, like sitting at the captain's table on these elaborate cruise ships. You know, and it was, but the, the captain, and actually it might have been, I think it's called Com, uh, uh, Commodore, that is actually in charge of several ships. I forget which term he used. But, but the captain loved him because, I mean, yes, he would eat at the table. But then he would go down and do a church service at 3.30 in the morning for the Chinese workers because they were washing all the linens. And that's when they get, got off work. And so if he wanted to do a church service for the Chinese workers, that's when he had to do it. Right? So even though he was sitting at the captain's table, he spent most of his time below deck ministering to all, to all the workers. But as he's telling the story, right, like he's referencing this part of scripture and how amazing it is that God provided for his dad in, in all these miraculous ways. Okay, great story. And yet, I can also give you stories. I don't name names. But I can also give you a story where, where the person or the pastor or the person in ministry like, just completely failed at setting up any kind of retirement plan. And I don't know if their thinking was based off this word, passage. But so they get to retirement, and there's nothing there. Like, there is no money for retirement. And so they just work long past when they should have stopped. And, and, and part of me gets really mad at the person, because I'm just like, what were you thinking like, like, why was there no preparation? Why was there no planning? Why was there no, you know, foresight into this? Like, you could have prepared for this, you didn't. Part of me gets really frustrated with the organization that they worked for. Same thing, like, what were you thinking? And why didn't someone in leadership step in and say something and do something? And why weren't better preparations put in place like 20, 30, 40 years ago? Scripture talks about money a lot. Like a lot, a lot. It, it's, uh, some theorize it's actually the second most common topic in all scripture. Um, and while scripture, I'm not aware of any place where scripture condemns wealth, but it does condemn greed. And, and I would offer to you, again, that as, as we really kind of look at the fullness of scripture, that as a general rule, Christians are not called to poverty, but we are called to strategic stewardship. And that's a big difference. Now, some Christians, as a part of their ministry, right, like they will just have low income for the rest of their lives. Because some of these ministry positions that they're legitimately called to, like they just don't pay well, right? And, and that's just, that's, and they're faithful in that, and, and that, is, that is awesome. 
But I would say that when it, we almost need this mentality that says, I steward another man's wealth. And it is my responsibility to steward that in such a way to achieve the goals and the purposes that he hopes to accomplish. Right? Um, I've also heard it to describe like this in that when it comes to finances, we need a wartime mentality when it comes to money. And that we acquire and we distribute finances, but we do it in a strategic way that advances the kingdom of God. And I've heard that contrasted because some Christians will get drawn into a poverty mentality, where they, where they think that that's kind of the, the righteous approach. But a poverty mentality just says, like, cheap. Like, we never accumulate anything, and we just go with cheap, and just cheap, 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 and that's the strategy. That's not our strategy. Right? A wartime mentality says some stuff is cheap, but some stuff is expensive, and what is it that you need to accomplish the task? Um, Carlin Weinhauer, um, for many years, pastor of, of the largest, one of the largest um, churches in Canada, got to work with him at Multiply um, for a little bit, um, and he was able to me to, to kind of mentor me a little bit in my early years. Some of you actually met him. Um, he was driving through and, and met with you, a couple of you, like nine years ago. Um, neat guy. He was not a farmer, but he had a saying when it, when it came to finances and stewardships. He used to say, gotta have combines. So what do you, gotta have combines. Combines are expensive. They're big. You only use them for part of the year. Oh, a few weeks, a few months. But if you want to farm successfully, gotta have combines. A poverty mentality does not allow ministry to, to, to have combines, right? Whatever that may mean, right? So, so it's not the wartime mentality, but this, not a poverty mentality, but this wartime mentality that says, hey, we steward another's resources. What do we need to accomplish the goal that, that Jesus wants to see happen? In this parable, too, there's a really heavy emphasis on do not worry and do not be anxious. Years ago, I took some kind of personality test. I don't remember which one. Um, but it was fascinating and rather convicting because, you know, I answer all these questions. And one of the things that popped up is it said is that I have a fear of poverty, which was fascinating because it doesn't say a desire to be wealthy or any of these other kinds of things. It says you have a fear of poverty, which is also interesting because, I mean, we were very comfortable growing up. So I'm not sure where that came from, but we all have issues and that's one of mine. And so, but just this, and, and to, and, and that's always stuck with me, and to just kind of be on my guard to say like, okay, what does that look like? And how does that express itself? And what do I, how do I kind of need to work against that? And then you have passages like this where Jesus calls us not to worry, right? And a fear of poverty would pretty well fit under that. Because throughout this passage, there's all this stuff. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. So you of little faith, do not be worried. Your father knows that you need them. I would offer to you this, that, that really great obedience looks like this. I will plan and I will strategize and work for the future and be a good steward and plan for retirement and strategically build up, you know, wealth for my kids and, you know, do all I can do to launch them into the world and this kind of stuff. But... When God says write the check, I write the check. 
And even if it doesn't make sense on paper, I do it anyways. Or sometimes, right, because that, that's kind of more of a reactionary response. If I, just, if I look at scripture and I say, look, this is a good cause and this is a good ministry and they're doing the right thing. And I know from scripture that, that this is important to, to God's heart and that this is a good ministry. I write the check. Like, it's just obvious. I don't need a call. Like, I write the check. The guy, you know, I told you a story about this guy whose dad was this chaplain to sailors, okay? He was, he was our number one finance guy at Multiply. He lived kind of more um, uh, out east in Canada and was offered this job. In preparations to, to come out, change jobs, new salary, move out, he could not make the numbers work on paper, right? He was going to come out. You know, buy a house, get a new job, new salary. He was our, our number one finance guy, so he was very good with math and all this other kind of stuff. He could not make it work on paper. He said, every way I crunch the numbers, that this doesn't work financially. But they had a sense that God called them to do it, and they did it. And you know what? God took care of them. And some of the ways were visible, and they were very aware of them. And some of the ways were invisible, and they will never hear about it until they're in heaven. And, and someone tells them, boof, look, all that happened. Right? Psalms describes God as owning the cattle on a thousand hills, which is basically just a contextual way of saying that God is super, super rich. And that God is able to take care of you as you surrender control of your finances to him. Plan, but be obedient, be generous, and trusting that God will take care of you. The last part of this, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure. What a fascinating phrase. It is your father's good pleasure. Like, it's not just like fun for him, it's like super fun for him. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And then this line, which I think is just the most amazing summary of all that we have talked about. For where your treasure is, there will, be, there, there will your heart be also. That's, that's my favorite line in this whole section. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I, because God wants your heart. Right? Like God wants all of you. God wants your heart. Sometimes we view heart as the seed of emotions, and it can be that. But I think, but when I've, I've read that, like really when you hear about how scripture talks about heart, it's not so much the seed of emotions. It's, it's more that, that part of your life that is like the core decision-making place within you. Right? Like it's kind of the, the, the king's chair, so to speak. Right? It is the place of, of all authority and that core from which all of your decisions are made. And God wants your heart. God wants all of you. And wherever you find treasure, your heart will follow to that place. And there's a lot of tempting things for us to place our treasure. People, things, stuff, experiences, a memory, a job, all these different places. And so that first question, though, is where is my treasure? Because my heart is going to follow by default. 
And then how do I, how do I make my treasure with the Lord and for the Lord and for his agenda and enjoying who he is? Because I know if my treasure is there, my heart will follow that place. Like I said, you know, Bible talks about money and possessions a lot. Some estimate that there are more than 800 locations, making it the second most referenced topic in all of Scripture. Just meaning that, that there's a lot of teaching that we should probably do on this and should do on this. But how do we, how do we understand our, our finances well and at the same time use them strategically without getting ensnared by a love for them? Because, like I said, there's so many places where we can put our treasure that, that are not Jesus. But Jesus needs to be the place of our treasure. Because if our treasure is in Jesus, our heart will follow, and that's what God wants. He wants you, and to get you, he needs your heart. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing truth. Lord, um, you have entrusted all of us with stuff and resources some a little bit some a lot but lord in all of that we want to be a good steward of that lord may may we not fall in love with the things that you have entrusted to our care lord but but may we use them strategically for your joy and your benefit and, and your kingdom father may we be wise and, and faithful stewards of everything of our life, of our, of our gifts, of our skills, of our abilities, and, and of our, our finances, and of our possessions. Lord, in all of this, may our treasure be in you, that our heart would follow, and that our heart would be and delight in you. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church, or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.